Hello, everyone. Welcome to Salted Hash. My name is Steve Reagan, Senior Staff Writer at CSO Online. Today, we're going to be talking about some moral dilemmas when it comes to ransomware. And I'll be joined by Robert Gibbons, the CTO of Datto. I'll be right back. Stay tuned. Robert, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy to have you. This this uh, conversation you and I were having about the the back ends of ransomware was very intriguing. I like it. So yeah, it's an area that we get to play in a lot, and uh, we work with small businesses. This is uh, the community that's hit by ransomware the worst. Oh yeah, and I, I would imagine that you know in the the SMB space, this is a very common dilemma that they they come up. So let's let's just jump into it real quick. We've got. Here lately, um, healthcare has been been targeted pretty pretty bad with uh, ransomware going forward. We've got uh, what Hancock Health, who paid fifty five thousand dollars to recover their files, and then you have Allscripts, who they had an outage that lasted upwards of six days while they went to recover, and at that point, when the recovery was happening, you know they were bringing their systems back online just fine, but their patient or their customers rather had no access to any of the tools and support wasn't giving them the answers they needed. It was a real mess. Yep. So when you consider your incident response plans, what is your advice to customers? When do they know whether or not they should pay a ransom when it comes to ransomware? So whether to pay or not um, is really a function of uh, a lot of prior decisions that you made uh, before you got infected. So mm -hmm. usually it's pretty clear when you are infected, um, you either have um, what I would call like a continuity strategy, a way to keep running or you don't. And uh, usually when you see big companies pay up, it's because they had a backup strategy, meaning they had the data, it was archived, they could get it back, but it would take days and days. And that's unacceptable, obviously, in healthcare context. So, um, uh, you know, the, the pay or not pay um, really comes down to uh, what are your alternatives? And uh, sometimes you have none um, or the uh, backup uh, solution that you have would take too long to actually recover. And so that's when you see companies pay. The the Hancock uh, Hospital, their, their CEO made a really, really important point to me. And when it came to paying the ransom, which was only $55,000, he made a comment to a reporter locally that they priced it just right. Now, before we started recording, you and I were talking about the pricing schemes. Let's circle back to that conversation. When he says they priced it just right, where do you see that conversation going? What do you think about that? So uh, he's referring to the ransomware developer. Yep. They so some, priced it uh, just right. Some crook over, you know, somewhere that came up with this software. Um, and we run into this a lot where $55,000 would be too much for your average home user. And uh, home users get infected a lot as well. And so ransomware, um, if you could consider it a business model, they've had to come up with a way to differentiate uh, between different classes of customers. And there's a lot of techniques they use. Um, Having hospital record software on the machine that's infected is a pretty good sign that um, you're you're going to pay a lot because you're handling private patient data. So I'm not sure about the particulars of this infection, but um, it's not surprising that uh, you know based on the number of machines and the the data and the types of applications that were running that they they came in at a number that was um, palatable, but um, uh, not something every business would necessarily pay. So. <clears throat> When it comes to actually paying, it's a risk. It's almost like you're gambling whether or not you're going to get it back. I mean, 
when your customers see something that's moderately affordable to them and they they start to consider the options like maybe this is the right way to go about it what what advice do you have for them so uh, i'll say across across the board i mean i'm obviously biased but our customers uh, don't face that choice because um they they don't have to um they never pay the ransom because they have an alternative um they can they can virtualize and spin up and and recover um to you know five minutes ago so uh the types of things um that uh people think of when they when they consider whether to pay i'm, I'm sorry your question was what? <laughs> let me pause i'll just reset no i answered something you didn't ask i think no so. no no. it's it's all good so uh we'll start back over when it when it comes to you know paying the ransom it's a risk isn't it like you're, you're kind of gambling at that point so when your customers see a reason to to take the uh the ceo at, at hancock health to to say that the the ransomware author priced it just right in getting their files back versus, you know, what they need. Now, I understand with your customers, it's a little different, but by and large, what advice do you have to the S&P space when they see that reasonably priced ransom versus all the time spent to recover? Yeah, so we've surveyed our our, um, our partners on this uh, to see how often when the ransom is paid, do they actually not get the files back? Because mm-hmm. remember, this is um, not a legitimate business. This was someone that's trying to steal from people that developed this, and you have to trust that they had enough morals to, you know, take your money and affect your machine. But if you pay that, they'll hold up their end of the bargain. That's not exactly a sure a sure shot. So um, about three out of four times people do get their files back. So it's not a horrible strategy um, if it's your only alternative. But 25 uh, percent of the time you won't get your data back. And uh, a, a lot of the more modern ransomware variants have um, where you'll get back less of your files over time. So if you wait a few hours, you get, you know, 90%. If you wait a few more, you'll get 80%. So we still see situations where someone's paid, but they lost some data. Yeah. And I, I think those business models for the, the ransomware, those are those are the ones that you actually see on some of the, the forums where the, the criminals fight amongst themselves because he's ruining a good thing for everybody else by saying, if you don't pay me right now, you're taking a 10% loss on recovery or a 20% loss on recovery. And the other criminals really do get angry at that point. Um, there was one guy who had his entire source code kit leaked everywhere else. Like they published the, the back end so that you can decrypt his stuff because apparently it was really weak crypto. And they did that because what, what, what he was doing was basically a cash out scam and people would pay the ransom, but he wouldn't recover any of the files. And so they were like, ha ha ha, no. And it's in their interest, honestly, as to restore your files after you've paid because that encourages other people to pay if they know they're going to get their files back if they pay. And I, earlier you and I were talking again, but this, this whole payment thing is why the economy is there. Earlier this year, CSO did a report where we looked at the, the, the economy of ransomware, like the criminal business model behind it. And the, the person I, I interviewed at the time, Rick uh, uh, from Carbon Black, he had actually made a really good point that if everybody stopped paying for ransomware, it would probably go away. It's a very fickle business model. If one half of the triangle is missing, it's it's all gone. And as long as people are paying, that stuff's going to still be around. And I was very interested in your your take on this when you had said that you know it's almost like gambling, and sometimes you're going to lose. And I think that's the the really big problem. Hancock Health gambled, and they won this time. They got their files back by paying that reasonably priced ransom. But then you look at the case of 
all of the other scientific databases that got wiped out by ransomware when when their um, databases were left exposed to the public and they were literally being encrypted left and right. Even if they did pay, they never got anything back. The the data was just gone at that point, and that's that's just horrible. So, looking forward um, or forward, I should say, when you're when you're going with um, advisories and advice to your clients, how do you tell them to prepare for ransomware? Yeah, um, I, I think given the ubiquity of computers, um, everyone from the person at the front desk, you know, into the warehouse at a business will have a computer connected to a network. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost impossible to completely prevent yourself from getting ever infected any computer. And so it, it's, it's a response strategy in every case. I mean, there's tons of steps you can take, but, um, uh, you know, the, the list of big businesses, medium and small that have been infected, even with protections, is enormous. And so this is a, um, you have to plan that this is going to happen eventually. And what is your strategy and what is your tolerance for downtime when that happens is usually the counsel I give them. And there's a lot of businesses where the only thing they're concerned about is I don't want to lose my data forever. It's actually an easy uh, problem to solve and, and has been solved for a long time. So tape backups are a great example. You know, like if the building burns down, how do I not lose my, my, my data? Um, but if six days of downtime or one hour of downtime is too much, and for a lot of businesses these days it is, you have to uh, move from just worrying about do I lose my data forever to can I use it continually even if something bad happens. Yeah. And, that, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a quantum leap and a change in thinking. Yeah. So going past the hospital ransomware attack, recently all scripts suffered a ransomware attack, and they had the complete opposite response in their IR plan. But there was a, a really big hiccup. And the fact was, while they had backups and they were able to restore from those backups, the process took a really long time. And, you know, after three days of hardcore outage on Tuesday following the the previous week's attack, they said that their customer, that everything was back online, except their customers couldn't access a single thing. And in the healthcare industry, that's, that's really bad. But... When it comes to, you know, the adage of if you have backups and you recover from your backups, you're good to go on ransomware, that just doesn't cut it these days, right? I mean, you have to have a continually uh, or a continuity plan in place to just keep that stuff moving no matter what. What do you advise to customers on that regard? Yeah, so, um, so this is, I, I'll try not to make this too much about data, but this is actually the area that, like, we specialize in, which is um, uh, we, we certainly back up data but also have the mechanics to, um, at any moment, bring up any of your machines that got infected and virtualize it and allow you to continue using and interacting with that machine from a backup of, say, five minutes ago. And so that's the second part, is you can keep running during a disaster. Um, That's a great strategy. And then usually what you'll do is you'll wipe the infected machine, and at a time of your choosing, say in the middle of the night, you can uh, copy back to what we call your production environment. But um, having access to a, um, a continuity environment and uh, being able to plug your backup solution in with that is, is really the key combination that, uh, that protects businesses and lets them not have to uh, pay ransom. So that example, no, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. The, the example you used of um, they, they had a, a backup strategy, but it took them three or six days is not uncommon. Um, uh, running end-to-end tests of, of like a, a restore is hard because it usually requires tons of hardware, a lot of orchestration, and um, it, it's uh, so IT departments don't do it at at best once or twice a year, 
Um, and it's usually a small part, not, not a, a full simulation. So um, w w what we do is uh, every backup we take, we actually will boot and, and verify that that machine can, can be virtualized and run. And so if you think about it, you've got, you know, if you do hourlies um, all week long, you've got tens of times where you've done a mini little restore. Yeah. And, and if you're, when you're doing it that much, then you have confidence that if something goes wrong, I'll use it. If you've just got a solution that once or twice a year you dust off and, and try to do a, a mock recovery, that's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to you're going to find when you actually have to use it, you're not ready. So why don't you why do you think more organizations are doing the instant virtualized backup to where you can just spin up the instance and recover right then and there versus the the hardened adage of we've got these tapes, let's restore from the tape, let's put it back up one server at a time. With virtualization being so frequent and accessible in the enterprise, why isn't that happening more often? Yeah, so um, Tape was, was an extreme example, but uh, there's a lot of instances where a company's gone virtual, uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, to a virtual environment, um, VMware, Hyper-V, or whatever, but um, uh, often the recovery environment, uh, they, they, don't, they don't think through. So if your production environment is compromised, your primary cluster, you, you can't uh, recover into that. And so uh, they're virtual. Theoretically, they could spin it up, but they don't have the mechanics to take a backup image and actually bring it into that environment quickly and bring it up when the primary environment has been compromised. And, and so you, you'd be surprised how many people buy our physical appliance, even though they're running a VMware cluster. Because when you ask them the question, hey, if you're on VMware, um, what happens if that cluster fails? Oh, snap, I can't have my backups on the same thing that's running my production. For some reason, that's a learning for some companies. Uh, <laughs> that seems like a really steep learning curve if you get caught out on that one. That's a painful lesson to learn. So before we, we wrap this up, when it comes to the moral argument of paying ransomware, what advice do you have to people out there? Um, I mean, I'd say, you know, turn to your priest or pastor. I'm, I'm not a moralist. I, <laughs> I, I'm a pragmatist. And I, um, I, I think you should orient yourself to never have to be in that position. But when you are, um, there, there might be some cases where, you know what, pay up for your sin because uh, – Three out of four times, you're probably going to get your data back. Um, I think if that ever happens, it's it's uh, it's indicative of you don't have an IT and continuity strategy, and and that should be a wake up call if you manage to get your data back. Um, in fact, a lot of uh, our partners, when they when they bring out our solution, initially a customer will be like, ah, that's a little too expensive. They get hit with ransomware. Hey, let's talk about that data thing again. Like that's that happens a lot these days, um, just because it's so prevalent right now. Excellent. Thanks a lot for taking the time to talk with us, Robert. It was a pleasure having you on, and I hope you have a good one. For those you, of you too. that like to learn more about ransomware, feel free to look us up at csoonline.com. I'm Steve Reagan, senior staff writer, and this has been Salted Hash. I'll see you next week. Cool.